All right. Good afternoon. How are you guys? Everybody's awake, right? Let's feel space here. All right. Uh, so this is the data sharing. Uh, uh, Panel. We have Abdallah will uh, be calling in uh, through Skype. He is from uh, Medical Chain. We have Uli here, a pharmacist, and Abdallah is a physician, by the way. Uh, pharmacist from Canada. We have Krisa, CEO, founder of uh, Patientory, a former healthcare administrator, hospital administrator. Uh, we have Kevin, a very prolific pharmacist, academia. <laughs> Global, blockchain, information technology, anything else, Kevin? Um, and me. So uh, I'm physician, entrepreneur, blockchain, former CIO. And first of all, anyone uh, read this fantastic article in Blockchain Healthcare today? Raise your hand. Nobody? You are missing out. Uh, Kevin read it and he wrote it. And Sean, right. So, um, Blockchain Healthcare Today, this is the article, the pragmatic interdisciplinary perspectives on uh, blockchain healthcare. That was put together by a bunch of uh, enthusiasts from HIMSS Blockchain Task Force. You have three of them. You have Krista, you have Kevin, you have me, right? And this was written with other folks from Intel, Accenture, Aetna, and others, right? And we seriously meant it because we, we are are more pragmatic innovators as opposed to basic science innovators. And we wanted to uh, have some perspectives that are global. Turns out this is now seven months in a row since publication. It is still the single uh, most frequent downloaded article from Blockchain Healthcare Today. In the, the first three months, it was downloaded once per, one per hour. Um, from 65 countries, total over 3,000 downloads and keep going. So guys, you're missing out. Um, there's a lot of excitement in the industry. I'll set the stage for the panel. A lot of excitement, a lot of money. Uh, any segment that you look into this, digital health and telehealth and home healthcare, precision medicine, data monetization begins to climb up. This number is across the industries, across all industries, but this begins to be a major issue. However, when we come to precision medicine, that's my personal view of the world. I'm very interested in, in folks' uh, point of view. There's a major paradox happening in precision medicine. The cost of everything that relates to it, genomic testing, interpretation stuff, the cost of data is going down. The volume and velocity of data coming to us is going up. And the more these two uh, uh, situations happen, the larger is the paradox. Because the question is, how can I use the data to change one person's life one at a time? Hopefully, we'll discuss that. Um, Kevin and Uli will be our more pharma experts. My point of view is that uh, pharma is at a crossroads. Right? Um, I'm a former search and rescue flight surgeon, hence the metaphor of vertigo, right? So I, I, I think I can describe what's happening in pharma um, as flying in vertigo. So uh, losing touch with reality and the ground truth. And they have to fly instruments. And instruments, in our words, mean data and data that makes sense. And uh, be very interested how to learn how pharma is dealing with that. 
The other aspect is everybody is doing AI. We hear uh, all day long here AI and machine learning, and we begin to see those notions. You know, we'll uh, do AI for data, right? Uh, we'll do work for food. Uh, the business AI business right now, total addressable market is like $34 billion, 2025, there's a lot of money in it. But AI cannot make real progress outside academia. And again, Kevin is a more academia, kind of closer uh, um, practitioner right now. Uh, my sense is uh, AI in academia happens phenomenally well, right? But the translation from academia to the real world is a big barrier, right? We need to make sense of it. Another thing that's coming at us is a, what I see is a perfect storm of uh, the, the, actually the perfect data storm. And this is because of lack of semantic veracity, more uh, well known as semantic interoperability. Think about the all different uh, data streams that are coming at us that we need to put together. And actually, I love the opening statement uh, from uh, the John, uh, John Halamka opened this morning. And he asked the question, you know, what data may be more important than other, more relevant to me when I do like big data? And that is about perfectly answering the wrong question because we don't know, right? We just, we need to collect a lot of data from different sources, huge volume, huge speed, huge velocity, but we need to make sense out of it. Inside streams and across streams. Happy to, uh, happy to discuss and, and get perspectives on the panel and, and all of you guys about it. And finally, the we, the consumers. The whole world is now going towards consumer, and we had discussion just in Atlanta a few months ago, the consumer-centric uh, approach. Consumers take charge around the world. I just returned from uh, Moscow uh, last week, and actually the government the Russian Federation government announced the NTI, National Technology Initiative, and it was very kind of intriguing for me as, uh, as an American uh, to hear that the Russian government says, well, in the approach to digital everything, the e-government, e-health and everything, consumers are going to play a big role. They actually uttered the word consumers. So that is very intriguing. So we're the consumers and looking at the world from uh, that perspective, I think that the critique uh, that is pointed at us and, and our colleagues is that we are way too slow. You know, 15 and 17 and 12 years from basic science discovery to something that really makes a difference in one's life, way too long, way too slow, way too expensive, way too complicated. We need to do something else. So with that said, and um, uh, we worked on the, the panelists and I kind of collaborated ahead of time to figure out what uh, questions we're going to focus today. So we decided to do the following. We'll ask each one of the members here on the panel uh, to, re first of all, to give us just a number. Short and sweet, just number, right? Zero to 10, how important or significant data sharing is for them and for the businesses they run. Uh, after the number, explain to us why and uh, how do they measure success of the ability to achieve the data sharing goals that they have. So how about we start, um, do we have Abdallah here? Let's, okay, so you will control uh, Abdallah's uh, entry into the conversations. So let's uh, uh, continue on to Uli. Uli, zero to 10, how important it is, why, and how do you measure success? 
So good afternoon and I want to thank Tori and uh, Ron for this wonderful opportunity to um, speak. Um, from my point of view, and I don't speak on behalf of Pharma, this is my personal view, um, it's 10 out of 10. And the reason why data sharing is so important is you look at the entire value chain really from R&D to patients getting the drug. If you have uh, better data sharing, you will have better models or possibly newer models to inform R&D. And what I mean when I talk about informing R&D, you could possibly define better, more efficacious drugs drugs that are, have a better safety profile um, and you can definitely reduce the attrition rate over time because you may have a, and I refer to your wonderful presentation this morning, you may have an omic signature early on in clinical development to inform you whether you should take this drug forward. Now you still may have to run a cardiovascular whatever out, outcome trial, but the money that you put at risk is uh, a lower one. And then of course, once your drug is on the market, if you have more data, you can provide much more information to patients and the healthcare system to prevent diseases, to diagnose the disease, to help patients along their disease journey, to treat the disease and ultimately to prevent and treat disease complications. Um, so how can we measure this? Well, it depends really on where in the value chain you want to look at, but you can look at time for development, costs of development. You can look at how often can you inform and adapt the model that you're looking at. You can look at customer satisfactions, patient satisfaction. You can look at outcome for the healthcare system, be it cost reduction, be it reduction and hospitalization beat in quality of life. I want to stop there and give it back to you. Thank you. Uh, right on time. You know, pharmacy, scientist, thank you, Noah, in physician. Kevin, do you agree? Uh, no, I would, you see from yours? I would, I would rate it as a zero. I'm just kind of taking a pulse there. No, absolutely. So I, I would have it at, at a nine, and that's just because I associate 10 with flawless and there's issues but uh, with measurement, right? So I look at it through the lens of two things in terms of data sharing, right? One would be in terms of from a clinician practice perspective with pharmacy, right? Which earlier we sort of touched on the fact that pharmacy in a non-institutional, so CVS, Walgreens, Publix, Dwayne Reed, whatever, um, they sort of practice in an information vacuum. So from a sharing between systems, it's, it's critical. That's probably an 11. Uh, from a, more, a little bit more of a research perspective, since we're trying, we have been for decades, moving away from episodic healthcare, right, where you have these temporary time points where you interface with some sort of clinician and more along the lines of continuous, again, that's, that's the other place where it's just hugely important to try to uh, emphasize and improve that. Any concrete kind of KPIs like is measured by that you set for yourself or you have to kind of meet for others, other stakeholders? Sure. So, sure. So, super briefly, um, if you look at something like the patient activation measure, right, which is a, a measure of readiness for change from a patient perspective, and you classic parallel two-arm intervention standard of care, and you've got one where you've got communication, whether that's a mobile health platform, there's some sort of continuous communication allowed for, whether it's synchronous or asynchronous, and the classic, and you have both. Uh, 
both equally distributed, ready for change by PAM, you're gonna see better clinical outcomes when you have that more right. engaged patient, um, especially those that are involved with some sort of shared decision-making model. Very intriguing uh, perspective to data sharing, because if I understand that correctly, patientory is a blockchain, and, and uh, Chris, I will explain to us a little bit more, is a blockchain-based, blockchain-enabled solution that tries to provide more control to the consumer patients across the different stakeholders. Uh, that is kind of existential, right? Yeah, yeah. No, I'm definitely, and I agree. How, so how important is it? No, I, I agree with what everyone said, and you know, from the technical standpoint, um, and the fact that our company is a technology company that's, that's based on the premise of data sharing, I'm just gonna have to say 11, right? So if we don't you know, provide that value based on you know, we're a blockchain-enabled company that's secure and you know, given the ability for patients to access and, and share their data, then you know, we, we don't exist. So we have, definitely have to go above and beyond that. Um, from the technical standpoint, looking at Patientory and what we've done, we basically built a, a you know a private permission fork of Ethereum, um, and employed um, you know interoperability APIs and, st and standards in there to be able to access data from different um, as we'd call it you know legacy healthcare systems um, to make it available not only to the patient but you know interested parties um, that are utilizing the data um, for different purposes and that may mean analytic um, verification or just tracking information um, and its viability against you know a patient's um, diagnoses from different um, institutions. Um, so I think in that, from a technology standpoint, you know, with, with the premise of blockchain as the underlying technology, um, the ability to, to really not only access the data, but secure it um, as it travels across different, different mediums is, is definitely uh, the important part. How do you measure success in data sharing? What's your KPIs? You have what hundreds and hundreds, uh, like hundreds of investors. You, you were very successful in SEO. Yeah. So they have investors. So you, have, you have a team that you hold accountable <laughs> for. What do you ask them to do in terms of KPIs of data sharing? Yeah, and it's it's definitely our product development team. So as Ron was referring to, you know, people want to have their information and. That's evident in we had almost over 2,000, you know, consumers participate um, in the buying of our token to do exactly that. You know, they want to see this happen and, and you know gain access to their health data. Um, from our product development team, it's it's we're really at the early stages of, of you know just implementation and build, and it's really, you know, what does success look like? From you know, I've built a sandbox. Um, I've been able to use and you know create APIs um, that can integrate with, as we know, the, the current electronic medical record system. So like Epic, you know, Cerner, Altic, and Allscripts, and Meditech. And you know, once we go through validation tests, and you know, are we you know, seeing that data um, and handling that data in compliance with, with GDPR and, and HIPAA. Um, so it's really, you know, checking all those, 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 those boxes as we go along the line. Do we have a bell? Hey, a bell, do we have
instance, I see a, a quite similar operation, right? EMR-based healthcare IT-enabled uh, solution with blockchain. But we do not have it. All right. So now we'll move to the next kind of round of questions, and it is about the barriers. We have this great importance, you know, uh, but uh, it's not difficult. So, what are the most pressing barriers? Uh, let's start with you. Most pressing barriers to achieve the goal that you told us. Uh, what do you do about it? And I would like you, each one of you to finish up with a call to action for the audience. What? So I see five, as a matter of fact, uh, pressing barriers. Uh, the first one is mindset. We heard it today. Um, I think what people tend to do is sit on their little kingdoms um, because the database that you have is a perceived competitive advantage. As opposed to understanding that if you have more data, you could better inform your company, your system, your healthcare system. But this is a big mindset change and I don't think we are there yet. The second big problem is education. And while uh, this audience is definitely the wrong audience to address, but if I look about um, surveys around blockchain technology, it seems that everyone totally gets the value proposition. I think this is completely wrong. I think there is only a minority who understand what the value proposition of blockchain technology in healthcare is. And if we don't communicate better to a broader audience, uh, adoption is still slow. The third in terms of data sharing is security. And it's not about systems being directly attacked. Um, um, I'm more concerned about receiving data that may misinform your model even though the data seem to be fine. And then, of course, there is lack of standards and lack of a regulatory framework. And all of this together may allow some early adopters um, um, to step in, to push something forward. But in order to have a large adoption, we have to make sure that we tackle those topics. So my ask is, um, um, let's jointly work on the communication. Let's put ourselves in the shoes of a customer, and I'm customizing uh, I'm not a tech expert at all, um, uh, but when talking to my peers, many people still are not there yet. And just putting a technical, solu technical solution on the table will not address the topic. We have to bring those colleagues along. We have to tackle their emotions if we want to be successful. And this would be my biggest ask and task for the audience. All right. Kevin. So I'll, I'll say two items, and one will sort of, I think, have a little bit of overlap, but those would be regs, right, in terms of regulatory perspective and accelerating within vendor communities. So from the regulatory point, I, I think when people hear, oh, there's regulatory barriers, et cetera, they sort of give up or say, well, this is going to be so far out, we can't really enact any real change. And I, I think back to an earlier session, you know, when this 
Phil Baker from Remedy Chain was talking about, he worked with his local senator, et cetera, and got the laws changed in his state to allow his pharmacy to do these sort of more innovative things. So it absolutely can be done, and it can be done sort of in small, uh, by small lobbyist groups, right? The the sort of vendor perspective from a, from a data sharing, from barriers, and what can be done about it, and the call to action, you know, thinking of an EHR company, I don't, I don't want to name it, so let's call it Schmepic. And um, I think about some of, they're usually associated with sort of these Goliath that's very slow to change, and there's a lot to that, but I think about, you know, the, they were kind of the first ones that had the holy grail of taking patient-generated data, in this case through a continuous glucose monitor, brought it all the way through an app ecosystem into the EHR, and then displayed it for clinicians to make more informed decisions, right? They required some things, right? They required a special data viz tool. So the two biggest challenges around that that I always hear is um, liability. Okay, if you connect me with the thousands of different devices, apps, data sources, am I gonna be responsible if I miss one of those, right? And then workflow, which the data viz. So those are those two pieces. The, the last component of the, the vendor, we, we talked to a guy, Josh Gant, who used to work at Schmepic um, up and up until pretty recently, and he was he was sort of posed this question: Do you know how much it takes for us to change sort of one core line of code to deploy to everything we have? And it was something like two hundred thousand dollars, was some insane amount. So the the challenge uh, is dual fold, right? So it's one: look to see where you can make changes or use resources, marshal those around regulatory change, and two: see if you can work with vendors or clinicians, whatever it is, to try to help lower the cost of those sort of systemic change to enable these types of uh, data sharing. Thank you, Kevin. Uh, Chris, uh, when uh, we discussed that in the, in the summit in the inauguration in Atlanta, we, in addition to the technology problem that we discussed, we also talked about user experience and return on adoption. Uh, what challenges, other than technology challenges, you see as a CEO, you're running with it for a couple of years now, you see to data sharing, what do you do about it and what's your call to action to? To that. No, absolutely. You know, we've discussed the regulatory framework, um, the privacy, security, um, in terms of challenges for adopting blockchain. And I think just to take it a step further, you know, the promise of blockchain is built on network effect. So, you know, what are what are incentives? What are what is the incentivization process for having a pharmaceutical company, a hospital, a payer insurance um, join the same network? If we're going to be looking at a lot of these consortia in the next, you know, three to five years start to form. It's, it's really looking at what is the consensus um, modeling for each network and basically what appeals to the organizations as to what consortia um, they're going to want to be a part of. So I think that's the, the, the really next step in the adoption of, of blockchain, especially because again, no no blockchain is an island. Um, it's, it's definitely, um, the value is definitely built around the network effects and the amount of nodes and the participants in the network. Mm -hmm. Thank you. So in, in this article that I mentioned uh, at the very beginning, BHTY article uh, by Hims Task Force, we began to introduce the notion of the blockchain triad. In other words, uh, for our, our sense is that for any blockchain-enabled solution, particularly in healthcare, right, the, the first um, major challenge, major barrier to cross is the business model. It is a disintermediated business model. 
And once we understand the business model, how companies, organizations make money and thrive on it and, and go and grow, then what is the operating model, the, the decentralized again, distributed operating model that has to be there in, in order to make the business model, the economics work? And the next challenge that we see then and only then is that the technology challenge, right? So remember the blockchain trial. So uh, with that said, what we would like uh, to do is actually to turn it to you, right? Um, what's your reaction to the discussion that you just heard about the questions as well as answers? So... <laughs> okay. Thank you. Um, uh, so, so completely agree with the statements about the uh, the need uh, for sharing data, and I agree. You know, it, whether it's a ten out of ten or eleven out of twelve, I'm going to take it to twelve out of twelve out of ten. Incredibly important. But um, I've I, I've got a a great concern here, which is I think I think somewhat what you're saying about the 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 confusion around the business model and further confusion around around data and data sharing in general um, and I think it comes down to the question of uh, of ownership and without addressing and really truly truly nailing in a clear way who owns data uh, and what how that data is being used um, I, I think we're sort of depending on the kindness of strangers to create these vast uh, very expensive and very lucrative uh, data aggregation sets, uh, and you know I'll end with the very you know timely report that just came out from uh, from Tim Cook just yesterday or last night you know speaking in Europe, who has said that data has been weaponized and condemns the vast data industrial complex, uh, which you know interestingly just. Is, is stoking the you know the fears of of you know these questions of, of who truly owns it and and what it's being what is being done with it. So ownership and protecting the ownership. Who wants to take it on? I have a quick thought on it. So participatory medicine, the shared decision making model, that's something that we've been working on for a long time. Something that's very dear to me. And so, absolutely. Ownership and consenting around that, those are both critical things. The best example that I've seen is a guy named uh, Hugo Campos. And he was in 2016 named a presidential champion for change, I think. So this is a, a gentleman who had an implantable cardiac device, right? Had a bit of an engineering background and said, oh, you know what, I'm gonna, I wanna take a look at my data, my data, right? And say, let me look to see where I can see exacerbations. What do I, is it too much coffee? Is it certain activities that produce these sort of, uh, actions that I'm trying to avoid. So he went to the company and they said, oh, you cannot have it. He's like, no, no, it's the data that's my heart's producing through your, your device, but I, I would like to have it for this analysis. Uh, no, you, you cannot have it. So that's a sort of an extreme example, but that's something I think we need to be careful of. My question, who, who owns the data, right? <laughs> Other questions? In the audience? All right. Uh, thank you very much. Thank you for the panel.